Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome into episode 16 of the House of L podcast. I am your host, Lawrence Holmes. I'm excited about this week's episode because it was someone that I love in the industry. Like, I see Shannon Ryan all the time when I'm out doing DePaul games or if I'm covering college sports. And she's someone who's really, really sharp, really sharp, an incredible writer, a great reporter, and... Before I did the episode with Barry Rosner, I hadn't really talked with any print journalist, and she was the first print journalist that I called. I was like, hey, can we sit down and talk for a little bit about what it's like to be a writer? And then, you know, I happened upon getting Barry at the right time, and so I got to talk to Barry before I got to talk with Shannon, but I... uh, Really enjoyed this conversation, and I'll talk more about it in a second. Some some people ask me, like, hey, what's the music that you start the show with? Well, it's a production piece that my nephew Justin did. So if you listen to the radio show, all the music that I bump back in with and open up the show with was done by my nephew. So he put together, like, 10, 11 bumps for me for the show. And then back in the fall, he was like, hey, I got some new heat for you. Why don't you check it out? And I didn't put it in the show. And I was like, I could use some stuff that I don't have to clear with anybody for the podcast. And since I paid my nephew for the beats, I could use his beats. So he's a producer, just like his dad. My brother is a a record producer and artist. If you are a house music person and you haven't heard the name Braxton Holmes, I, I... question how deep into house music you actually are but if you go search my brother's catalog you'll find out that it's extremely vast and his son is following in his footsteps not with house music but a little bit of everything but yeah man the 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 beats that my nephew put together are pretty hot so if you're a rapper and you need them beats hit me up on the house of l at house of l podcast at gmail.com and i'll put you in contact with him because he is starting to make some waves here in Chicago, and he does a great job on, on the beats for me, and I appreciate it, and that's why I paid him. That's right. Nothing's free in this world, even for family. Also, I, I wanted to have the licensing for the music so that if it was ever an issue on the show, be like, hey, I, I paid for this music. Because believe it or not, we went through a stretch at the score. Part of the reason that I, I asked Justin to put the beats together is we went through this stretch at the score where we couldn't use music bumps for the podcast. And I mean like the show podcast. So like if you were to listen to my podcast, there was a a good stretch of time where the podcast seemed broken up. 
And that was because we had licensing to use the music over the air, but we didn't have licensing to stream the music online. So you would hear the start of a show and then it would cut because we used a music bump that hadn't been cleared. So I was like, why don't I get my own music? And that way the podcast is uninterrupted. The show podcast is uninterrupted. Because I didn't like that. It was extra work for the producers. They had to go in and cut out all the music and try to put everything back together. That that takes hours. And ain't nobody got time for that. So that's the music bump that you hear. It's my nephew, Justin. He's great. And again, if you're looking for beats, hit me up. Houseofelpodcast at gmail.com. We'll do some emails from people on the back end of the interview. But I wanted to... to, to share this interview with Shannon Ryan because it was a lot of fun. It was really interesting. We went into depth about what it's like to be a reporter, what it's like to be a columnist and the difference between the two. We talked about what it was like for her to be in locker rooms when she first started and whether there's been any advancement in the way that women are treated and perceived in the sports world. And we got into a really personal topic that I was really happy that she allowed us to discuss and it's her son. And if you've never seen Shannon, she's uh, a tall blonde lady. And she has a little teeny tiny black son. So we talked about that in the podcast as well. So enjoy. This is one of my favorite people. She is an incredible journalist and extremely thoughtful. This week in the House of L, Shannon Ryan. When did you know you could write? Um, oh gosh, you know, even when I was a little kid, I would just like have paper and pen and crayons and just be making up stories and writing things like all the time. So I think just real early in life, since I could write, I was doing that, like, you know, kindergarten, first grade and stuff, like making up stories. But then, you know, my family was real into sports and um, like I didn't play a ton of sports, but just really liked sports, too. When I went to college at St. Mary's College, which is a sister school to Notre Dame, Notre Dame football. And, you know, it's a joint newspaper there with St. Mary's and Notre Dame. I didn't know that. Yeah. So I was the managing editor of that paper and covered Notre Dame football. And that's just like such a huge national stage for, uh, you know, for coverage, something to cover. And you're seeing all these writers from, you know, national outlets. So that's inspiring. And it gets you thinking like, oh, I love sports. I love writing. I'll do both. You you didn't play really at all? I mean, I did like some softball and uh, stuff like that. I went to like a really tiny high school. Well, I know. That's one of the things yeah. I wanted to talk with you about, like where you grew <laughs> up at. Because you, you speak of it. Th- there are moments <laughs> when you speak of it very fondly. And then there are moments <laughs> you're like, man, I'm glad I fled to the city. I, I think that was part. I kind of joke with people. I, I use both sides of it because a lot of times on Twitter, People, uh, I think especially I cover University of Illinois a lot. So Champaign and downstate, they're like, you city elitist. And I'm like, I, I, you know, grew up where we had tractor day. Kids drove their tractors to school. So don't try me. My next <laughs> my next door neighbors were cows, you know, like real country. Did you have but, a tractor? No, I was, you know, an outcast for not having a tractor and being in the future farmers of America. But that was like the thing, you know, everybody pretty much. I want to say everybody, but it was like agriculture was really big there. So where is this at? In Pennsylvania? <laughs> in Ohio. In so Ohio. it's like an hour south of Cleveland. Like we didn't have a stoplight. It's it's small. Wait, but what town? I just drove to Canton. So <laughs> uh, my brother lives in Canton now, but it's it's like 40 minutes from Canton. It's uh, called Creston, Ohio. Nobody knows it. It's like 
like it's probably not on a map. Ron Zook knew it though because he grew up in the same county as I did. So when he was at Illinois, that was kind of maybe the one thing we had in common. <laughs> I was having a lot of fun while I was down there because people, the staging area for the media is where Josh McDaniels went to high school in oh. Canton. I mean, it's such a football, high school football and hotbed. You know, that's what everybody does and cares about is still, I think, watching high school football and just there's so many people who have come out of there. Was that was it like that for you when you were growing up? Was football the big thing? It was the only thing. Like there was not where I live, there was nothing to do. <laughs> so, I mean, I think everyone's just like real sports crazed. And my family was like super into football and um you know, watching college football every Saturday. and But, you know, I think, like, high school football was, like, such a big thing there. Do, did that come from your parents being athletic? No. Or were they just fans? <laughs> you know what? So my, um, fam- like, you know, we're an Irish Catholic family, so it was always Notre Dame on the TV, like, every Saturday. And just, like, it was it was too much. I mean, just, you know, the it was like another religion to them. <laughs> like, you know, just the anxiety and way too much emotion into it. But, you know, it was just kind of the thing. And it, and it did make me really like football and like sports and kind of seeing just the way people get into it and the fanfare was something different to it. So was this the life plan for you that you would end up at St. Mary's? Now I'm feeling like you're, you're the female Rudy all of a sudden. (laughs) That's really funny. No, um, I don't know. You know, I had a cousin that went looking back now, no disrespect to St. Mary's. It's great school and a great education, but you know, I don't know that I would make the same choice, but, um, it's like a very homogenous place. And I was from a very homogenous upbringing so I think like in some ways it's not the best place to be when you're trying to evolve at that age but um but yeah I think I don't know I just I'd been out there for games and uh, I don't know I just I think it was just kind of in my mind from my upbringing too so and for me like my where I went to school like nobody even left really the county so for me to like go to Indiana was kind of a big deal. (laughs) So what was that culture shock like when you finally left St. Mary's? What was the next place that you went? Philadelphia, which couldn't be much different. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, it's tough. You know, I talk real fondly of Philadelphia and it really, for me as a writer, a sports writer, and I'm sure people who started out in Chicago too, it's just like, you have to get thick skin and you've got to get it right away. And I think like Philly is a great place to you know, they're going to toughen you up and you have to prove yourself to them. And once you do, they love you just like they do with their athletes. I think they're like that with their sports writers, too. (laughs) Once you prove you're tough and can take it and know what you're talking about, you know, they'll like you well enough. But yeah, it's a like it's a tougher. They're uh, real into sports like Chicago. So I can kind of I, I see similarities there. But I think, you know, starting out there was a great preparation. So what was it like? for you coming from um, a homogeneous area to now being in a heterogeneous area in Philadelphia that I'm, I'm curious because I don't have that. Now my, my wife is from a rural area and I've seen that with her moving from Champaign, Tuscola to uh, proper to yeah. Tuscola to Chicago what was it like for you going from Creston to, to Philadelphia? <laughs> this is the most Creston Ohio's ever been mentioned on a radio show ever. <laughs> you know, I think like definitely though my parent, well, my mom did a really good job of um, 
you know, taking us to Cleveland a lot, which I know everyone's going to laugh. Like Cleveland's not the big metropolis, but it is though, it, it, you know, but for, you know, so kind of being exposed to some culture and people of different backgrounds and being taught like not to be judgmental or small minded was kind of like a big thing in my household. So I think I always carried that with me. So I wasn't like, oh my gosh, like there's so many different types of people. You know, I enjoyed that and I think wanted to experience more of that type of life. For sure. Yeah. All of us end up doing that. Like the the cultural shock that I got, it was, it was a little bit of a reverse. Like I grew up on the south side of the city. Yeah. I grew up in Roseland and then I end up at in a really affluent high school. My graduating class of, of out of eighth grade was 30 people. Oh, it was wow, small, yeah. black Catholic grammar uh-huh. school on the south side of the city. And then I went to a place where my graduating class, I want to say, was 525 people. And it's different. Like yeah. it, it, It's weird to be put into those situations and then having to navigate how to survive it and, <laughs> and unlearning some stuff yeah. and, and reaffirming some other stuff that you had been taught as a child. Yeah. And I mean, like, I just didn't know the city life either. So I probably, oh, my gosh, like looking back, I don't know what I was doing or I would just go wherever and not think anything of it or, you know, have like the awareness you probably that I would have now that seems like an instinct, like none of that, you know? So looking back, I probably, if I had like a video of my life, then I was probably like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? But, you know, I think it was good for me. And I, you know, now I have a son and I love raising him in the city and just all the experiences he can have here. He'll probably grow up and want to be out in the country. Well, that's what I was going to say. Like, how does, how does your family deal with they're, them being kind of country, and now the, the, your parents have a grandson who's a city kid. Yeah, I mean, my mom's here a lot, too. Now, I mean, my mom loves the city life, and my family, you know, they come visit a lot and stuff. So, I mean, I don't know. I think it's, it's – I meet people from everywhere, though, and I think, you know, that's one of the cool things about this job. And I think that's one of the things I really liked about sports writing is it can take you to so many places, and you do meet – people from every background and I mean just all over the world with so many different experiences and they're beyond talented people but like I think that's what kind of drew me into it too is just that you're finding these really interesting stories and people like you'd never meet before and it's like I mean I know there's that cliche everybody has a story but I feel like even in sports just there's so many people who had had obstacles or just how do you get to be one of the best in the world and the places people come from. I think that's like one of the most interesting things about what we do and the people we get to talk to. What's the most fun that you've ever had covering a sports event? Gosh, um, you know, I've, I mean, I love covering the final four every year. And I think you do get, it's one of those, the NCAA tournaments, one of those things where you get to see just, you, you meet people, you meet people you didn't know that you would really like and fans fall in love with these teams and schools of players they've never heard of before and then they become household names so I really like that I think one of my favorite stories was just pretty early on when I worked in Philadelphia I went there was a big track meet there the pen relays and uh these kids from Jamaica would come up here and come up there and just like smoke everybody on the track so they sent me this is shows you how long ago it was that like a newspaper had a budget to send me to Kingston, Jamaica. But, you know, it was these kids who just like ran on a non-regulation size dirt track and would use like milk crates and a stick for their hurdles. And they became Olympians and they would come to, you know, compete against these suburban Philadelphia schools that had multi-million dollar facilities and just like blow them away. And, um, and that was a fun one, just 
A, I got to go to Jamaica, but <laughs> no, but just seeing, I don't know, just kind of a different way to look at stories. So, you know, I've covered like no hitter. I covered Super Bowl. I covered, um, you know, like the Stanley Cup finals. I mean, those things are really exciting and fun, but I just love finding stories that are like nobody else is telling or I'm going to introduce you to this person that I find really fascinating. What's the difference between covering a professional team and covering a college team? Now I think there's a lot less than there used to be. I think colleges have become so much more guarded with their players to the extent like I think a lot of the athletes don't even like that because they're looking <laughs> looking for exposure. Yeah, well, I, I was wondering about mm-hmm. that because I, I, you'll see like Big Ten Media Day or whatever is a couple guys end up making a trip or after a game. You know, you have young guys that are not allowed to talk and all yeah. sorts of stuff. What's been the reaction when you do finally get to talk with a player about not being more involved with selling the program or selling themselves? Yeah, I mean, to me, it's just it's such a controlled environment. I think like that's kind of become a topic now. Uh, There's pushback among athletes because of just you see them now having more of a, a voice, college athletes. And there's just been this kind of like, especially I think college football, this patriarchal system of control and like you're just a robot in our system kind of. And, but then, you know, I, I just think it's such a mistake because when you do meet these players, it, it, especially right now when I think the NCAA has such a black eye that getting to know some of these players are, can be fascinating guys and doing things like off the field that are remarkable. And it, it's such a bad PR uh, take, I guess, for, for the NCAA or for individual colleges when they try to shield players like that. So when I talked, I mean, I've had players say to me like, oh my gosh, you know, I want to talk, you know, more. I want people to know who I am and I wish we could talk more. So I, I don't know, but I mean, I don't think that's changing anytime soon just because the reins are so kind of tight, I think. Why do you think the the colleges are doing that? I mean, it's just such a business. So they want to control. It's just like how every team now has their website that they're putting out the, you know, quote, news in their um you know, controlling the message. And I don't think it's like the best, best idea. And I think it detracts from what they're actually trying to accomplish from a marketing standpoint, for sure. How do journalists, in your opinion, deal with the, the public relations or media relations department of teams putting out their own quote unquote news? What if I'm a listener or a reader what am I getting from you that I'm not getting from them? The truth? No. <laughs> but maybe that's too harsh. I'm not saying they're lying. But <laughs> if, like I said, I mean, they're, they're putting out something that's going to always make them look positive, right? And I think if you're, you know, whether it's politics or sports, like you want to know what's actually going on. And you should, even if you're a fan of the team, you want to know the good and the bad or you know, what somebody wants to work on or, you know, everything's not always rosy and cheery the way it's presented by a team. So, you know, that's their job. That's that's what they're supposed to do. But I think it is becoming harder for reporters to then get – there's a lot less access, I think. And, you know, I'm just mostly covered colleges, so I'm speaking mostly from that. But I think it's true at the pro level, too. It's just so tightly controlled. Or I think back even college coaches, like there were certain coaches like you could just sit down. And there's still a few guys like that, but you could just sit down and chat with off the record like all the time. Or coaches used to have people over to their house, which, you know, just to like as a get-to-know-you-off-the-record type of thing. There was a lot more of that. 
which I think helped a lot. And, and just getting to know players and finding those stories is more challenging now because it's like you can talk to this guy for these 15 minutes on the field after practice and that's it. And there's no there's a lot less of the chit chat where you get to really know somebody and find out something that they might even want to um, they want people to know about them. So what do you in, what do you, how do you build a relationship now with a player or a coach? How do you go about it? Yeah, I mean, it, it is you, you have to, I think, work harder at it. It's it, because of the access isn't there. And I think you have to show people sometimes that you are a person or, you know, I've had moments with coaches where you just something they say and you just kind of mention like, you know, ask, oh, can I talk to you about that for a second over here off, you know, away from the microphones and kind of build a rapport with people. And I think, I mean, that's always been the case, right? But I think you've got to do it a little more now and try to figure out ways. And then when, you know, there's stories that break that are bigger stories or scandals, I think sometimes sports reporters fall into this trap of like, well, I only have access at this time, so that's when I can talk to this person. But, I mean, I think that's a big mistake that a lot of sports reporters make instead of like, well, and I know there's the idea of, you know, they'll pull your credential or whatever. There's always that threat. But, you know, it's like you don't have to always follow their rules of this is the only time. And, you know, you've got to be careful with that, of course. But, I mean, I'm just kind of thinking of the story with Illinois when Tim Beckman was the coach. And I one other reporter called, like, every player he's ever coached, like, attempted to call every player he'd ever coached at Illinois. Of course, Illinois didn't want us doing that. And they're like, you can only talk to these people, you know, when we give you approval. But when a story's big like that and someone's a coach is being accused of being negligent you've got to take those other steps and go kind of outside the bounds of what are supposedly set for you what's the hardest story that you had to cover oh gosh that's a that's a tough one um I don't know nothing like really comes to mind I mean like that was a big task just because of you know the the kind of magnitude or you know the uh, coach being accused of something and you want to make sure you're you're telling it the right way and being accurate with all of that information. But um, I don't know. Some are uh, – I'm trying to think of something that would come to mind. I mean, Have, have any are... stories, like, touched you emotionally where as you're, you're, you're trying to separate Shannon the writer from Shannon the person? Yeah, but, you know, like, I've kind of learned over the years to – you don't have to do that as much as you think you do, and it helps you. I, you know, I think I kind of all came up thinking, like, okay, you know, what to be objective, what does that mean? And it means, like, I have no emotion and I just tell this story. And I think that's kind of a mistake. So, I mean, there was a, a player, a basketball player at Northwestern who died and um, I think had taken her own life. And it was just – that was a really emotional one too. And I think it's okay as a writer to think about, like, how does that make me feel as, you know, if I was her teammate, if I if this was my friend or – you know, people you know who that might have happened to or, you know, you think about your own family or kids. And, you know, I think it's OK to, like, bring some emotion into it and and be a human. I think sometimes we are too much of like, you know, I, I can't I can't have that human element. And that means I'm, you know, not being objective with it. And I think it's that's OK. We should be. It's OK to show show emotion and to find that human element. Do you think the people that we cover understand the concepts of being objective and being fair and that not necessarily meaning that everyone gets to say whatever it is they want to say. Yeah. I think, I mean, that's, I think like the perception obviously of the media and we've talked about this before, it's just, 
it drives me crazy. And a lot of it's like our own fault as a news industry. But yeah, I think the word you used is a word that should be used a lot more in media, which is fair, like being fair. Doesn't mean like that you have to report and present like somebody's telling something that's absolutely not true. And just, just because lie. they said it. Yeah. Like you have to, well, you're, you have to show right, the like, other side. Like, is, wait, what? Right. Like it's this person's opinion. The sky is green. Well, no, it's not. So I'm not going to, you know, give that the same type of platform or the same, uh, you know, give it the same amount of power. Or, you know, I need to point out that that's not true. And this person saying this is not being factual. Um, you know, but that's, that's looking at a bigger sense I think of like all all news media um but I do think it, it I don't think people and again it's it I think it's media's own fault for people will email me and be like well that was an opinion your your that whole piece was an opinion I'm like well it was a column so it's supposed to be but I don't think we do a good job of explaining what that means what a column means and that this is a strictly an opinion piece as opposed to a news piece and um I don't think people are as news literate as they used to be, and we should um, take that into account with the way we present. There our used news. to be a, a clear line that yes, a that beat too. reporter right. was a beat reporter, and rarely did you see that person write a column. Right. So how how do we go about teaching the people who read us or listen to us or watch us? the difference between when you're reporting versus when you're doing an opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you can call it like dumbing it down or whatever, but I think it's got to be really clearly spelled out for people because I don't think people, and and even I'm, I think, you know, for me, I write a lot of columns now and uh, on, I would have never used to have done that. Like I would have never felt comfortable before writing a news article about Illinois sports and then writing a column about it. But I think, you know, when you do cover something and you, know know something so closely um, and deeply because you have an expertise in that area like it is okay but I think like there's a way you've got to explain that to your readers or your listeners I sometimes feel like I like to go out I mean I I it's part of my code that I like to go cover stuff now my show doesn't always allow for it because a lot of times I'm on at night and there's games going on at night so it makes it a little bit more difficult but even in that, like, I learn how much I don't know whenever I step out of the booth and I'll go cover Cubs or cover White Sox for a day. And I'll go, there's a lot here that I don't understand about this. So I always thought it was weird. And maybe columnists back then were doing more coverage mm-hmm. um, before they were sitting down to write. But but I actually think that the beat reporter might be more qualified to, to give opinion on things, but it puts them in a really weird yeah. position because of the idea of them being objective or fair right. on a particular team. Yeah. I mean, I think, again, like you, you still want to be fair. And I think that's the thing sometimes people miss when you're writing an opinion piece is that it still has to be fact. But if it's good, it should still be fact based. It should still be fair. And I think, yeah, you should. I mean, I've had issues or, you know, interactions with coaches that are sometimes negative and you you have to go back the next day or I've gone to practices where like I actually like really didn't need to be there but I have to be like if you want to yell at me you can here I am and or if you want to talk about this we can do that I don't know how much you know I think that's something definitely like an old school approach to it but um but yeah things are definitely changing and as far as like where these lines are and how they're blurred now 
and uh, something, I don't know, I think it needs to be discussed more within the industry. So how do we go about fixing some of this stuff? Because I, I think that we're all at a point in media where we're not sure what's next, whether it's from um, the way that we think about the business or the way that the business actually works. How do we go about making positive changes and in some cases, regaining public trust? Yeah, I mean, it's such a good question because you just feel like you're constantly being told that you're this whole enemy of the people thing. I mean, now it's such a national thing where, like, before I would have never heard some of the things that I hear, even at sports events or, like, covering a basketball game where you're on the court and, like, people will walk by and say, like, things about the media. And I'm like, I would have never heard that, like, at a sporting event before. So, I mean, I think – I don't know, you know. I don't know that I, I know all the answers to this, obviously. But that there, there is an issue there, and I think you do have to um, – you do have to make sure you're being fair when you're covering somebody. You have to make sure you're not uh, – you know, it's okay to have an opinion on it, it, but I think it's just the way it's presented sometimes or that you're – that it's clearly defined what you're what you're doing and maybe your role is blurred sometimes but it's it's a really tough question it's hard to know how to, to how how the industry should handle that what advice would you give someone who's been looking at your career and says I I would love to do what Shannon Ryan does if, if I should tell them to do it or not to do it I mean if, if the advice is <laughs> yeah. to run for no, the hills then I wouldn't it, say that because I think like w- w- we do need good people. And you do see there's, I mean, like right now the LA times is like hiring tons of reporters. And if you find a place that actually invests in journalism and believes in it, you know, I think there, that things could change. You know, there are models out there for that. So, but you do need good people doing this job. And I think like in sports reporting too, you do need to find people, you know, it's been such the same demographic of sports reporters doing this job. So I always encourage, you know, there's still a lot of times where I'm the only woman doing, you know, in the room. But, I mean, for people of color, it's, like, worse, I think. Or if you're a woman of color doing this job. I mean, so we need those voices in here. Like, I would encourage people because you're making it better. You know, it comes from hiring, too. You need to hire people with diverse backgrounds. But I think – for people like that, I, I think it needs to be valued, but we need more of that in the industry too. So like when I talk to young women who are interested in sports and want to do it and worry how they'd handle a family and this, you know, I'm like, I, I want to show you this can be done. Like, yeah, sometimes it's it can be more challenging in some ways or, you know, when you have a family and just the way the world works, but um, it can be done. And I saw women do it too. So I'm kind of going off not exactly the thing you asked me, but I mean, I don't want people to run from going into newspaper writing or, you know, now online writing, whatever reporting, because we need people like we need it for our whole society um, to have good people who who do it the right way. How have you seen the way people reacted to you initially when you started going into locker rooms change versus now? Yeah, I mean, I was lucky that in Philadelphia there were um, two other women, at least, who, you know, were established and well-respected in the field, and I think that helped a lot. But for me, it's kind of always been – I haven't really had problems with athletes 
at all. It's so weird because that, I hear that story <laughs> yeah. a lot that it's it's never really the as, no. as much as people would think it would be the athletes. Yeah. It's usually not. And I think nowadays every guy, you know, every football player in college right now has maybe been interviewed. If you're really good, you know, or you're a really good basketball player, you've possibly been interviewed by a woman at some point in high school or whatever. If you played in a big AAU or, you know, McDonald's, if you're a McDonald's All-American, that's something. But also, like, they've watched ESPN. They've seen, like, women interviewing players. Like, it's not this foreign, strange, scary idea. (laughs) But, you know, I think then you get maybe a look. And I I haven't really had too many bad interactions. The things with coaches sometimes are a little more subliminal or subtle. It's mostly, I think, fans and people who, you know, read our work. That's where most of, like, the people who still have a problem with it comes from. But How, How do you handle that? For me, I mean... I don't know. Maybe that's where like the starting off in Philly helped me a lot because <laughs> I was get, getting it then as like a 22 year old. And um, it just you, I don't for me, if I can quote our queen, Miss Beyonce Knowles. Oh. <laughs> the, well, the, this is a first on the podcast. You're the, the first person to quote Beyonce. But I've got, okay, good, good. I should win an award for this. But the best revenge is your paper. Okay, I don't make any money in journalism. But the best revenge is... <laughs> Doing your job and having that job and having whatever a platform, doing your job well, you know, producing, doing your job well. That's the revenge for me. And like keeping this job, that's, you know, I don't want to say revenge, but it, it you know, for me, I'm not I'm not somebody who's going to stay on Twitter all day arguing with some possible bot or some dude who has three followers because I'm busy. I have stuff to do. Like I'm going to go do what my job is. And I get like, sometimes you, you might tell somebody off a little bit or you're going to say, but I'm like, for me, I'm just going to keep doing my job. And that's where I want my focus and energy to go to. And I think it sends like a bigger message sometimes to just keep doing your job. Well, that doesn't mean you can't stand up for yourself or assert that, you know, this, you have a right to have this job. But for me, it's just like, do I'm just going to keep doing my job and hopefully do it well. I talk a lot about parenting on the podcast. It's kind of weird that it, it kind of <laughs> keeps coming up with, with guests I've had on. And I did an episode with Barry Rosner and we were talking about yeah. him raising girls. And I thought it was, it was fun. I, I feel like I, I, I want to ask you this question, but I, I, if it's too personal, <laughs> don't worry about it. I, I will we'll cut it right out. But you are raising a child of color. Mm-hmm. What's this like for you? For me, I mean, it's I take it as a really serious obligation to educate myself and to understand like the privilege I've had in life and some of the complexities that can come from um, being mixed race or having, you know, parents of different races and some of the assumptions people will make about you. And I've really like probably you know as much time as I spend on sports I spend like researching things about that or just looking or talking to people who are um I actually started a group in Chicago for mixed race families and uh we you know it but you know it was basically I don't want my son growing up you hear a lot of kids who are older who are mixed race talk about like I was the only one like I was the only one in my class or I was the only one who felt this way luckily I live in a place like Chicago again where 
you know, there's a lot of diversity and there are mixed race families. And but, you know, that was my idea. Like, I don't want my son to ever feel like isolated or like, oh, my family's so much different from other families. Now, like most of his friends are, you know, of families, kids who are transracially adopted or mixed race. So, you know, but we've I've had things like we'll talk to this this group at Northwestern, who's a group uh, for mixed race students and just hear their experiences. I'm like, tell me how your parents messed up. So I don't do that. (laughs) 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 But, you know, it's just educating yourself. And I think, you know, it does make you, you know, I think I, I thought I was always this very aware person, but you know, I'm sure as your life experience is different than my life experience and the things that maybe people assume about you are different than people would assume about me. And it's just like, it's, it's an education and you have to be open to it. You have to be open to like knowing you're, you've thought wrong about some things or you have to check yourself and like, why, oh, why did I think this? Or why, I don't know. Or, you know, and now just the, understanding like some of the the fears out there or the risks that come with like having a black child and you know, as he grows up, what that means and how do I talk to him about those things? And, you know, how do I do that with, um, you know, as a white mother? So, I mean, there's a there's a lot. And I, I mean, but I think it's important to, like, think about it a lot and try my best to, to understand that and know I don't know everything about it and be open to, like, listening to other people. Were you a little bit apprehensive about starting the group or were you like, I I need this. Yeah. I, I need the help. No, I was like, I need I I need like this for my son. I thought like he's gonna be have you know he'll make friend he'll make a couple friends out of this. But like it's really grown quite a bit, and um like this is where like most of my friends are, and we just have like a different experience as families that like only they would know what it's like for somebody to assume your child's not yours or, mm. you know, I think especially for the moms of color assumed to be the nanny all the time, just things like that. Or, you know, just the comments people will make about your kid's skin color. Like where it's like, why, why are you bringing this up even, you know, or just odd little things, you know, but it's like, it's nice to have people who understand that. All right. Let me get back yeah. to sports okay. real quick. That was a lot. I'm, I'm glad that we talked about it because I you're very open about it on Twitter. Yeah. And I see you. You know, I, I love when you post you know pics of your son. <laughs> He's uh, silly. But it does. I mean, it, it, it. I think covering sports where you are covering a lot of it, now, I think, too, and maybe it should have always been this way. But it, race is an issue in sports, too. And I think a lot, that's something that sports writers have been deficient in. And again, like the lack of diversity in sports writing has been problematic in that area. So I think that like all sports reporters should try to be well-versed on race because you're dealing with a lot of times you're in a locker room and it's like 10 white guys talking to like a room of mostly black guys. And, you know, and now with the um, issues of like the protests against police brutality during the national anthem, you know, like the, these issues are cross over from, you know, societal things into sports. And I think like we really need to be educated on that. If you're going to be in the position as a, a white sports reporter and you're covering people of color, like to, to at least try to understand or try to read a lot of different um, other writers, studies, academics, you know, try to be more aware. I feel like it's almost impossible to divorce sports and the world. I, I know that people look at it as an escape, and I'm, I'm cognizant of that. Yeah. I, I And I, I do understand, like, people like, look, I just want to turn on the game, and yeah. I just want to escape for a couple of hours. But 
you're not watching robots. You're watching real people. Yeah. So I I don't have the answer to this. You know, I, I, I talk with people about this all the time. I don't I don't know what the right, right balance is when it comes to our coverage of this stuff. Yeah. But I mean, I think we have to look back. And like I remember having a conversation with somebody who like when the color line was being broken in baseball, like white newspapers were not really addressing it. And acting like this wasn't happening. And like now that's like, that's crazy. That was the story. Like, why aren't you covering the story? That's what it is. Like, we're still a historical account of what's happening. And right now, these issues, I mean, sports isn't divorced from, like you said, it's not, it's not divorced from politics or society. And I mean, I think we should take a broader approach. That doesn't mean like every first down you've got to bring up like, you know, police brutality during the football game. But I mean, when when it's relevant and something, I mean, you can't shy away from it or you can't just say, well, I just stick to sports. Well, then you're not doing your job right. <laughs> that is a perfect way to, to end things. I, thank you so much thank for this. You, Lawrence. I, I really want to do like a part two with you. Oh, thanks. Because I feel like there's so much more. That <laughs> oh, well, we, that's good. That we need to. And it was great. I, I'm glad that I had the opportunity to talk with a little bit of print journalism and yeah. you you sharing some of the the fear that's been in print, I think, for a yeah. long time. I would say probably the last yeah, 10 years in sure. print. And now it's kind of drifted over into electronic media. Yeah. I think there's a lot of fear out there, there now. There is, right. So yeah. so thank you for, for doing I'll this. I'll come back with more Beyonce quotes. Please. If you have Beyonce <laughs> dance moves, that would also be fine. Oh, my gosh. No, unfortunately. I can lie because this is just a pod, no video. No video I've got of tons this. of Beyonce moves. <laughs> no. Did you go to the concert? <laughs> no, I wish I had. I, was, I forget what I was doing that night, but I couldn't. But I, So I was just jealous of all the pictures I saw my friends posting. I've been to a lot of Jay-Z concerts, though. My guess would be that you were like memorizing the Illini roster. <laughs> like that's what, like in my mind, it's like that's what Shannon's doing. Like she's looking over her notes and looking at I'll the. I'll pretend Illini. yes. That's that's probably exactly what I was doing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff with Shannon Ryan. Glad that she was able to give of herself and hang out and talk about all sorts of stuff. I did not know that she was that big of a Beyonce fan. Didn't know that, but now I know, and now you know too. And it's fun that while other sports writers are talking about Bruce Springsteen and Pearl Jam, that Shannon is out there representing with Beyonce. We need a little bit of flavor because I tell you, I feel weird because I'm not into like I don't mind. I don't hate Pearl Jam. Like I'm a kid who grew up in grunge, so all of that Seattle sound stuff, like I'm down with. I'm I'm more partial to Nirvana and Soundgarden, but I have room for Pearl Jam. It's just that my colleagues in this business, the ones that are around my age are gaga for Pearl Jam. And the ones that are older than me, they're gaga for Bruce Springsteen. It's almost like you have to like one of those groups to be a a full-fledged member of sports media in Chicago. So shout out to Shannon for wanting to talk a little bit about Beyonce and adding some flavor to the mix intriguing stuff and I'm glad we'll we'll do a part two with her as well that's what I'm finding out like there's almost not enough time to dig into conversations with these people that I've had on and she will definitely be invited back to do a a part two let me look at your emails and we appreciate you emailing us it's exciting house of l podcast at gmail.com It looks like I got this email that says 
Good news, your House of L podcast has been reviewed and approved for Google Play Music. That's a big deal. People have been asking me, why are you not on Google Play Music? I sent the podcast up for Google Play Music like when I first started. Like when the, the, I think the podcast's first day is June 1st. And that was one of the places that I wanted to send the podcast to because so many people are on Google Play and so many people have Androids. And I've been waiting and waiting and waiting. So Jason Ferrari, who does the podcast with Abaticola, has kind of been my consigliere on a lot of this stuff. Like he's helped me out, like get through some of the audio production issues that I had at the beginning of the podcast, like back in episode two with Jason, where I kind of screwed up the audio a little bit because it doesn't matter. Anyway, I talked with him and I said, what's going on? Like, I feel like I'm waiting forever on Google Play where on Stitcher, when he told me I should get on Stitcher, I was immediately on Stitcher. SoundCloud has been having a a problem with the amount, the volume that I'm I'm posting every every week, which is fine. It's whatever. But I I said I've been waiting on Google Play for Google Google Play Music for forever, and he said I don't know what's happening. And I literally sent him a screenshot of when I sent away for Google Play Music. So I'm really happy that one of the emails I have today says that Google Play Music will now carry the House of L podcast. So if you've been waiting to listen to it on Google Play Music, congratulations. You are all good to go. And I am extremely excited about that. Thanks, everyone, by the way, who listened to the Khalil Mack episode. And yes, the White Panther is fine. She does have a bruise, though. And it's kind of funny that she has a bruise. But I wanted to take it out for a test drive and see if I added a bears element to the podcast, would it work? So my plan is, is that on Sundays, like Sunday night or on Monday morning, like the first game that the bears play is Sunday night. So I don't see myself going home and then recording a pod while Mel is asleep. Like, I think that would be, well, we'll see, but I think it'll probably drop Monday. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to move the interviews back to Wednesdays. We kind of been going on Tuesdays, but I'm going to move all of those back to Wednesdays and then do a Bears thing after the game, you know, 20, 25 minutes or whatever, just my thoughts about what happened. And then Wednesday we'll do like our regular House of L podcast with guests. Got it? Cool. Okay. Let me take a look at a few of your emails. And again, houseoflpodcast at gmail.com. This one is from Bob, and it went on forever, so I'm going to try to shorten it. Lawrence, first, congrats on the podcast. Thanks for humoring me with the being a Facebook friend and Twitter follow. I wanted to reach out to you and take a chance. I host a small podcast. My friends are amazing. It would be very honored if you would consider being a guest I hope you aren't freaked out at this point. Hear me out. I think I can make this fit. Well, I'll just leave it here. I, yeah, I, I do a thing usually once a year where I honor all podcast requests, as many as I can do. I don't know when that's going to be. I would suspect that it'll be after November because I start teaching class this week over at DePaul. And between that and my other jobs, it, it eats up a lot of my time. But I do appreciate you you wondering, and yes, when I do podcast week, I will definitely put you on the list. This from Ryan. I want to thank you for starting the podcast, continuing to have great guests. 
I recently moved from Ann Arbor, moved to Ann Arbor from Chicago, and the pod gives me that connection to home that I wouldn't have without being a subscriber. Keep up the great work and let the people know when House of L comes out. That's from Ryan. Hey, Ryan, thank you. I appreciate it. I get, I'm so like overwhelmed by how many people listen to it in different places. And I, I put up on Instagram a little while ago the, the map. There's a map of the world, and you can see with Libsyn, who is the host of my podcast, you can see where people are downloading from. And seeing that we've hit all the continents is crazy. And then when you see you know where people are listening inside the United States, obviously with people knowing me from the score and NBC Sports Chicago – Chicago and Illinois, of course, are going to be big hubs. Milwaukee, strangely enough, is a big hub for me as well. And so is Northwest Indiana and Indianapolis. So it's cool to see where people are listening from. And I, I thank you very much. I'm, I'm glad that we can make you feel like you're at home. And Ann Arbor is a great, great place. Beautiful place. At some point, I'll tell the story about how I almost ended up in Michigan, and then I ha- almost ended up in Illinois, and how I finally decided on ending up at DePaul. It, but that's for another time. This from Dan. I want to thank you for very entertaining podcasts. I've listened to every episode and have enjoyed the diverse group of talent you've brought in. I would love to hear you get a chance to interview Hawk as a diehard White Sox fan. That's from Dan. I'd like to sit down with Hawk, too. I don't I don't see it happening. I just don't. I've never really been in that circle of people that Hawk comes on with. I think I've had him on maybe twice in my career. I'll reach out. I'll see, but I I'm not as um optimistic that that's something that can happen, but I'll try because the the people asked for it. I'm the people's champ and we'll see if we can get it done. This from Alex I just finished episode 12, and I thought it was dope. It's my favorite episode so far. Your big F-bomb at the end caught me off guard and had me cracking up. You're my favorite host on on the score. I just wanted to thank you for always keeping it real and top-notch entertainment. Request. I think it would be cool if you eventually interview someone, interesting people in different fields other than media, like the Kyle Higgins episode. And I also love the idea of having the podcast on YouTube. P.S. I'm way jealous that you got to hang out with Ron Coomer in the booth and he didn't give you any Tootsie Rolls. Actually, he did give me a bunch of Tootsie Rolls. After he was done throwing them out, he hooked me up. And that's from Alex. So, Alex, thank you for the nice words. Initially, the idea is I'm dealing with people in in media and specifically in Chicago media. And it's funny because when I was trying to think about what I wanted the podcast to be, I was talking with Jason Goff and Dan Zampillo, and we had all gone out to dinner, and we were hanging out drinking margaritas, and Z was like, hey, I want you to focus your idea. He's like, it's a great idea, and you already have a built-in fan base, but you need to focus it. And he was right. He was 100% right. I was like, I'll just do this scatterbrain, whatever's on my mind type podcast, and see what happens. I'm I'm allowing myself to do that like inside the email section and before we get to the guests. But to me, this is the dessert that the interviews are the meal. That's the way that I'm looking at it. And if it continues to branch off into other areas, then great. And when it comes to guests that are outside of 
Chicago media, I'm open to it, but it has to fit, at least initially. Like, for example, I went to go see um, a comedy show last night, and it was Hannibal Burris who was kind of hosting the whole thing, and it was great. He had Erica Nicole Clark on, who is Mr. T's daughter, who if you've listened to the radio show, I've talked about in the past. That's a tease. Um, it had Little Rel, who was in town, and he's promoting his new show. Vic Mensa, who I'm a big fan of, was did like, you know, 15 minutes of, of, of music, which was great. And then Dave Chappelle was the special guest. It was crazy. So Anyone on that list of people that I gave you, I would be interested in talking to on the podcast. And my boy, Dave Hellum, who's a fantastic comedian, is friends with Little Rel and with Hannibal. So I might have to use that connect to, to see if we can make it happen and, and see if we can and, and get something done. But, yeah, I'm all for branching out, but it has to be the right fit. I don't want to just throw someone on just because. Like, I've been humble brag. I've been texting with Jake Johnson and shout out to Jake because he tweeted out the podcast about Khalil Mack. And I really appreciated that because talking about a guy with a million followers who then tweeted it out. Jake's been on the radio show a ton because he's a, even though he's a Hollywood actor, he's a big Chicago sports fan. So if there's a connection to Chicago, at least for the 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 foreseeable future, like that's kind of where I want to go with it. But I'm not going to turn down Dave Chappelle if if it's offered to me or if I can make that happen. But yeah, you're you're right. Eventually, the podcast will continue to grow, and and maybe we'll be able to reach out to to other people and other tentacles and that sort of thing. So I appreciate it. Let's see if we got time. I don't want to keep you too long. I'm trying, for the most part, to keep these to an hour. That's the goal. Uh, long enough for a commute. But I think we got time. I'm, I'm showing right now 54 minutes. And I haven't even edited and moved things around yet. All right, so let me see. This one is from Ron Baker. Ron says, I love the podcast. I'm relatively new to listening to podcasts, being an old soul at 47 I don't always catch on to newer things. Still read a newspaper. That being said, I now subscribe to Sarah Spain. Thanks to your podcast with her. Keep up the great work. Your podcast and radio show. You're a good companion on the drive home. And that's from, from Ron. Ron, thank you very much. Yo, Sarah's podcast is great. I was just listening to the episode with Kari Champion. I also think it's a great hook. And I don't know who did her art, but it's perfect. Name of her podcast is uh, That's What She Said. And mad respect to her because she's been more than willing to engage people on Twitter about her being on my podcast and respect like that. That helps out, too. We had a great time. Like it was a great team up. I hope at some point that she will come back on the podcast. And if you didn't check out the story that she did about the the uh, the coach at, at, for the Kansas City Chiefs on SportsCenter, it's really amazing. It's amazing, and, and she wrote for ESPN.com on it. It's good stuff. Go search it out. It, it, go check her timeline because it's all up in there, both video and the, the written word. This from Saeed, who says, who came up with two suggestions for the podcast. Walter Jacobson. That would be fun. I would, I'd love to talk with him about that piece. Remember that piece he did when he was homeless, living on the streets? And number two, Adam Amin. 
Adam and Amin and I have, are kind of becoming friends. And he was on the radio show, and it was great. And if you look through my episodes on the the podcast, the radio show, we he we did twenty minutes. You're right. I'd love to talk with him longer. I'd love to sit down and talk for an hour and get into some stuff that he and I were talking about during the breaks that you might find interesting. I I think that he's really talented. I think that there's a good crop of young play-by-play guys around the country right now, and he is at the top of that list. I work with another one. You know him very well, and Zach Zabin. I think Zach's on that list of guys. Jordan Burnfield, to me, is one of those guys. Um, Wayne Randazzo is one of those guys. Chris Ranji, if he ever gets the chance to do play-by-play, I think would just be amazing at it. And I dabble in in the play-by-play game too, but it's not necessarily my career path, at least for now. I don't think that could change. But Adam, I think, is at the top of that group. Mick Gillespie, I think, is really good too, um, who does uh, the Tennessee Smokies and and does uh, Alabama pre- and post-game. So there's a lot of young, really great play-by-play guys around the country, and Adam is uh, is so good. Like, he's so prepared he was very much missed on the Bears' final preseason game. I don't know what that was, but Adam Amin was really missed in that broadcast. So thanks for the emails. If you want to email, Podcast at gmail.com. The next episode of the House of L podcast will be a Bears breakdown of Bears-Packers. There. I've said it. That'll be the next episode. We're going to do those on Mondays or Sunday nights. And then we'll have the interviews like we usually do. And we'll move that back one day and move it to Wednesday. Thanks for the support. The goal is 100,000 downloads by the end of the year. I'm glad we're going to be on Google Play Music. I think that will help us get to our goal. I appreciate you listening and supporting the art. And just, just keep this in mind. Keep the pressure on Jason Goff. I'm going to say it. Keep the pressure on Jason Goff. Jason hit me up with a text and was like, yo, I'm thinking about recording. I have been trying desperately to get Jay to do his own podcast because I want people to hear him. And he's got a lot of things to say. So I hit him with the Jay Electronica line. Like Nas hit me up on the phone, said, what you waiting on? Tip hit me up with a tweet, said, what you waiting on? Diddy sent a text every hour on the dot saying, when you going to drop that verse, homie? You taking long. So you taking long, Jay. Let's go. So that's where I'm at right now. <laughs> I didn't know Jay Electronica would come up on the show, but he did. So keep the pressure on Jay via Twitter. Tell him we need that podcast because we definitely do. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. Shout out to Shannon Ryan for a great episode. A new Bears pod will be out either Sunday night or Monday morning. Trust. See you next week.